Commander! We're pinned down by enemy forces! They're flanking us on every side! We need reinforcements, stat! They need to be willing to do anything for our Lord! They need to be willing to be... Radical Christians! Today, we take a look at Azazel, the leader of the Watchers, and we learn about the goat demons in the Bible. Really, Drew? Goat demons in the Bible? Really? Yes! Goat demons in the Bible. What is up, my rad friends? It is always so good to be back. I, I don't do. Do I even need to say that anymore? I think I'll say it every time because it's always good to be back. The chaos of preparing this episode is finally done. I'm sitting here. It is 3 a.m. I got a little late start on this one, but guess what? It's got to get out there. So today we're gonna look at our first monster profile. We are gonna look at Azazel, the leader of the Watchers, and the goat demons of the Bible. So first, we have to review the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, and that's obviously where God divided up the nations and put his sons in charge over the rebellious nations. Now, the Tower of Babel incident happened. That's when he split the nations up. He said, oh, you guys don't want me as, as your God? Then you could have my sons. And he charged them with ruling as he would, but he just didn't want to deal with the nations anymore because, because they rejected him. Now, it was a test for these sons of his, and it was a job. Unfortunately, they failed this test. Now, Azazel was one of the angels that, that came down on Mount Hermon and took wives. So you, we've heard that in other episodes, but we're going to dig a little deeper. We're going we're gonna to dig a little deeper today. Now, Azazel is noted as being a seraphim angel, and the seraphims were trusted with keeping a watchful, governing eye over these disinherited nations. So we have the, the watcher Azazel, who is also sometimes called Azazel or Az Azael. Now, in the, in the Bible, in Leviticus, the, the eye is missing from his name. Now, this, uh, my, I, I, this might be some sort of wordplay here, like Hebrews like to do. I'm not sure, but I, that's something I'd like to look into, too, with someone who knows Hebrew. Now, the word Azazel in Hebrew can be translated as the goat that goes away, or more commonly, scapegoat. So some translations will say scapegoat, others will say Azazel. Now, he was a very powerful fallen angel and the leader of the Watchers, yet lower in rank than Lucifer. So we, the angel hierarchy that we can kind of gather is, it goes angels, then archangels, then principalities, dominions, virtues, powers, thrones, way up the cherubim and then and then seraphim and that is according to the encyclopedia americana now enoch identified the the high-ranking seraphim as watchers now keep in mind enoch is not the bible you it cannot be trusted the same as the bible it is a historical resource to see the the worldview of the people at the time you cannot fully trust anything from any extra biblical text you can only fully trust what's in the bible so keep that in mind as much as we love the book of enoch don't go betting the house on it but however, in Enoch, we see it, that it says, Go speak to the watchers of heaven. Tell them you should intercede for men and not men for you. Why did you leave lofty heaven to sleep with women, to defile yourselves with the daughters of men, and take for them as your wives, and like the children of earth, to beget sons, in your case, giants? This was what Yahweh said to Enoch to tell the angels, according to First Enoch. Now, watcher was translated into Greek as egregorius or Grigori. So sometimes you'll hear that, and that's another term for these watcher angels. And the Hebrew word watcher is defined as those who watch, those who are awake. Now, they were, like I said, the holy rulers and governors of the earth. 
There is also an extra biblical text called the Visions of Amram, which depict the watcher named Belial wearing a multicolored yet dark robe, and he had a serpent-like or viper-like visage. So he looked like a snake. Now that calls back to the Nakash. Now again, we can't pull this right out of the Bible, but we know that Nakash had a serpentine appearance, and we know serpentine or we know seraphims are often referred to as having serpentine qualities. So this makes you think, what did their sons look like? It also makes you think, was this serpentine form their true form, or was it what they showed themselves as? Now, if it was their true form, did their sons carry some of these serpentine qualities? Maybe elongated skulls? Maybe another episode? Who knows? Yeah, it is. It is. And there are many other sources that cite seraphim as having serpent-like qualities. Now, the name seraphim also comes from the root word seraph, which we know is used for snakes and has a burning connotation. In a text I would not endorse called the Quran, they, they, they state their angels, or they call them jinn. It describes them as being made of smokeless fire and having multiple pairs of wings. Now, the reason why I mention that is because smokeless fire, that would be burning. And multiple pairs of wings, seraphim are noted as having three pairs of wings, six total. So when you, we look at other texts and kind of, we compare it to the Bible. Now, if we compare this quote from there to the Bible, it's consistent. This does not mean you go looking through the Quran for truth or for anything other than context. Anyways, the watchers in Deuteronomy were referred to as archons. Now, archons are rulers, princes, magistrates, or chief rulers. So there is a definite worked out hierarchy and there's roles and there's order. God is a God of order. So you see these different ranks. Now Jude 1.6 states that the angels who did not keep their position of authority but abandoned their home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So the home they abandoned was heaven. And I would say the authority they abandoned would be their position of archon over a specific region or nation. So when the nations were disinherited, he put his sons in charge of all, all of them. When they acted unjustly and ruled unjustly, and when they positioned themselves as small g gods, they gave that up basically by, by going against the law that God set. The, the guidelines he set for them, they broke them. Now, and then we know from Psalms 82 that they ruled unjustly and their sentence was to die like men. Now, two of the most infamous watchers were Azazel and Shemiyaza. Now, we, we learned about Shemiyaza and we connected him to the Greek god Kronos before. So these were the leaders of the 200 angels that descended to earth to take human wives. And there are some sources that say that these two beings were the first to ask God permission to dwell among the humans before they fell. That's very interesting. Do with that what you will. So in the book of 1st Enoch, Azazel is charged with teaching her humanity the arts of jewelry, makeup, metalwork, and medicine, along with promiscuity and illicit sexual pleasure. So he brought some foul things. And it's it kind of, you, you don't see anywhere that talks about the watchers bringing down order or law or regulations. So they brought down this vile, ill-used knowledge and they didn't bring regulations with it. So this is just unbridled, uncontrolled havoc that they brought down. So he basically brought in iniquity and the secrets of heaven to mankind. And like I mentioned before in a different episode, you see in Enoch, God says that the secrets he brought down weren't even the good ones. They were the throwaway secrets. So that just blows my mind. If that's true, if, if that is an actual quote, which you can't be sure, it's extra biblical, but that is just insane to think of what actual secrets lie in heaven. 
Now, keep in mind, these things were taught to promote seduction, lust, and warfare, not to better mankind. So all these other cultures, you see them talk about, oh, these beings came from the clouds, they came from the skies, and they brought forth the knowledge to mankind. And this other evil god, he, he didn't want mankind to have this knowledge. He didn't want mankind to ascend. So that's their polytheist kind of propaganda of beings who are the true gods who bring down knowledge and want to better mankind, but then there's some cosmic bad guy who doesn't want it to happen. Obviously, they're trying to portray Yahweh as that, but that's dumb because it's wrong. Now, a man named Andrew Collins puts forth the theory that Azazel and Shemiyaza are derived from the same source, the same being, and were later separated into two different fallen angels before being put into first Enoch. Now, that's really interesting. I don't know where I stand with that. As of right now, I'm, I'm not I'm not on board that train, but I have to look deeper into that. I have to look deeper into those sources. So that's another rabbit trail that I, that we may go down together. But that, I'm just throwing that out there for future reference. Now, Shemiyaza's crimes were the arts of root cutting and magical arts, magical arts, and the root in his name, Yaza and Shemiyaza, was also a word for angel or divine being. That's a little little tidbit for you. Nothing too crazy, that's just a little bit. Now the name Azazel translates as scapegoat and the goat that goes away. So we see in a source called the Access Bible that they're, they're, quote, they're quoted as saying Azazel was the name of an iniquitous goat demon thought to inhabit desolate places. And the place mentioned in Enoch is Dudael, which has been connected to Orion or somewhere else that we'll look into later. But this is this is interesting. This is this is one of the first sources I saw where he is mentioned as a goat demon. So we have a couple options here. We have him being a fallen angel, and that's in an extra biblical source, and we have him being an iniquitous goat demon. Now, either way, I believe he is the father of all the goat demons, and we'll get in more into that later. But we have two different viewpoints here. Let's continue. Now, a little in a little bit, we're going to get into the Day of Atonement ritual where two goats were sacrificed, one for Yahweh and one for Azazel. Now, on that day, though, here's an interesting fact. On that day, any consumption of blood is forbidden. Now, why would that be? The answer is, that is a staple of Nephilim. Nephilim and their cults is blood drinking. So Yahweh kind of, he he's forbids blood. And if you read the Bible and you don't, you don't do the research, you just think, oh, he forbids blood. Like, okay, like, I guess maybe it's unhealthy or I guess maybe it's, he doesn't like it. But when you look into why and you, you do the research, you get, you get rewarded for it by learning this deeper meaning where it's just like, like you see that the Nephilim did this and he is always seeking to separate him, his people from the people of the pagan nations. So God is always trying to make his set apart people be completely distinguishable from the pagans. And the goat that they were sending away to Azazel was sent to the the realm was sent to the desolate places. It says, and this is where that's where they were considered. That's where the demons were considered to dwell, which are the spirits of these Nephilim. So on the Day of Atonement, they're forbidden from doing the practices of the Nephilim, and they send a goat loaded up with sin over to them. But we'll get more into that later. So, like I mentioned earlier, First Enoch cites that Azazel was bound and cast into a place called Dudael, which is sometimes linked up with Orion. And it says jagged rocks were placed upon him and he, he will remain there until he is cast into the lake of fire. So what, what he did that was so bad, he broke the species barrier. He mated with someone outside of his order. And like last episode, Book of Giants, they did this with the animals as well. 
And the reason why I believe that is because we see it today. We see them doing it today with animal-human hybrids. So he broke the species barrier and had an unnatural sexual union with humans, which violated God's ordained law of creation. Now, we also learn from Peter and Jude that after his crucifixion, Jesus, during his three days in the grave, visited these condemned angels in prison to reaffirm their punishment for their crimes committed before the flood. Now, this was Jesus letting them know that he did not forget what they did. And also, it was him basically showing up and, and they, they didn't expect this because his plan was so so clever that they thought they were killing Jesus. Turns out he was wanting to be killed. So he could, this is one of the things he went to go do was to deliver this message to them saying, hey, I'm taking back the nations. You will be punished. Don't forget it. And mankind will make it through this. This was to seal their fate once and for all. So let's get into Leviticus 16. This is where we see the Day of Atonement ritual of Yom Kippur, and we see Azazel in our Bibles. So let's check out what the Bible says. Leviticus 16, 8 through 10. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So this ritual required a ram, a bull, and two goats. So the ram was for a burnt offering. It was, it was meant to please God. The bull was taken from the herd and it was served as a sin offering to Aaron, the high priest, and his family for purification. The reason being was someone people had to be purified to be in God's presence. Then, on this day, there were two goats taken from the congregation for a single sin offering for the people. Now, other places, you would only take one. But here we have two. Now, why do we have two? The reason was that the other goat was for Azazel. We can take another, another look at who was Azazel in this context. So, the Hebrew term Azazel occurs four times in Leviticus 16, but nowhere else in the Bible. And, like I said earlier, many translate the phrase as the goat that goes away, or the scapegoat. So depending on which translation you have, you'll see one of those. But other ones treat it as the name Azazel. Now, since in the verse we saw that the phrase said one goat for the Lord and one goat for Azazel, this compares it to a goat for the Lord to a goat for Azazel. So in, when it says a goat for the Lord, it's talking about a being. So by contrast, we could see that Azazel is a being, and it's, it's referred to as such in these verses. Now we have two other sources that provide a case for Azazel being a divine being. Now these sources lean more towards him being a demonic figure associated with the wilderness. So the first one is the Jewish text called the Mishnah, and it says the goat for Azazel was led to a cliff and pushed over to kill it, ensuring that it would not return. And the, we know the wilderness was associated with evil in the New Testament, and that was where Jesus met the devil in the wilderness. And that was in Matthew 4.1. So the second source we have is Leviticus 17.17. 17 we see that the Israelites had been accustomed to sacrificing offerings to goat demons. And the Day of Atonement replaced this nasty practice. Now, it's important to know that the goat on the Day of Atonement was not a sacrifice to Azazel, and it was not for him in the sense of sacrificing to him. Basically, it was them running off this goat into the unholy wilderness, the, the chaotic wilds basically they would put the sins on this goat symbolically and they would send this goat out basically to send the sin to the source that it came from which was azazel now could this mean 
I always thought when I read this uh, verse as a kid that it says that all this that it was it was basically sending it back to to sin because it belongs to Azazel. Now, does this link him to the Nakash, to Lucifer, to the main divine rebel? Possibly, and there's some sources that link him to the Nakash, but I, I can't say that for a certainty. But it, but when it says that ascribed to him all sin, I think that's in Enoch. But again, the Bible kind of implies that too. It's just it makes you wonder. Now this this ritual demonstrated that God is holy, and you need to be purified to approach Him with the first goat, and that sin was gross and nasty, and you sent it away with the other goat to the demonic wastelands. Okay, next. We are getting into the goat demon section. So we see in the very next chapter, Leviticus 17, 7. It says, So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. So in ancient times, more than 1400 years from the time of Jesus to the Exodus, the Israelites began to worship goat demons. So how did this start? Who introduced them to goat demons? That's a bad idea. Especially Israel, who's known for messing up. You're going to show them goat demons? Who did this? So during Israel's time of bondage in Egypt, the Egyptians may have been introduced them to deities involving goats. Now there was also a temple in Lower Egypt in a place called, I think, Namos. But basically this place was a temple to Pan, the goat lord. So Egypt may have introduced them to goat deities or in the very least deities involved with goat sacrifices or Israel may have thought that the demons of the wilderness needed to be kept at bay through goat sacrifice so maybe they heard about something about about these about Pan the goat lord or Azazel and they sacrificed a goat to keep them away now the the, the second one works really well because Egyptians considered the territory outside of Egypt to be full of chaos just like the wilderness was thought to have so they, they thought of that as no man's land, basically. So maybe the, the Israelites were sacrificing to these goat demons to keep them away. Who knows? Either way, bad idea. We also know that the Egyptians sometimes engaged in sexually perverse worship in regard to these goat demons. And we'll see that, that, that the sexual worship is connected to Pan. Now, these entities that they worshipped were called Seirim. Now, the Seirim means hairy ones. And they were satyr-like, a.k.a. pan-like, beings who the Israelites began to worship while they were wandering in the desert. And this is what Leviticus 17 was referring to. Moses wanted to stop the worship of goat demons. Now, the, the root word seir, the meaning of it depends on the context. So sometimes it means goat or kid. But there are four places in the Old Testament where it refers to a demon or a devil. And in I Isaiah of 34, the phrase wild goat is from the Hebrew word seir. Now, here's an example of different translations. So the, the KJV translated, translates this as Seder, which it also does for Isaiah 13. But most English transla translations show it as wild goat, male goat or hairy goat. So let's see if we can link the Seirim, the Seder-like deities who danced in the wilderness and look suspiciously like the Greek god Pan, to Azazel. So first of all, both deities were associated with the goat. So you have the sacrifice, the Day of Atonement, which mentions Azazel with the goat. Then you have the Greek god Pan, who was depicted as half goat. So secondly, Pan was driven by primal sexual lust. And we have Azazel, who lusted after human women and led the watchers to take wives. Next, both Pan and Azazel were well-practiced in the art of war. So there was, there was a battle at Marathon in 490 BC 
that was offered up to Pan. It was attributed to him helping them win. And we also see that in the book of First Enoch, the art of weapon making and waging war was attributed to Azazel. So the last, the last comparison we have is, from a mystical standpoint, Pan and Azazel are linked. The Greeks associated Pan with divination and prophecy, and Azazel was associated with giving mystical knowledge from heaven to humanity. Now at the base of Mount Hermon, we learned a couple episodes ago that there was the grotto of Pan, which is at Benias, or it's sometimes called Penias. But this may have been, based on these two characters being linked so closely, this could have been the location of Dudael which is where he's bound up and, and locked away. We don't know for sure. Uh, Dudael is also referred to, or is also um, linked with Orion. So there's two different things, but because he's there, there is a theory that, that Dudael could be at the Grotto of Pan, which is the base of Mount Hermon. So let's get into Pan, the Pan Man. Now the Greek god Pan was depicted as having the upper body of a man and the lower body of a goat, including a tail, horns and cloven feet so where else do we see this we also see this in the satanic baphomet the baphomet is is just like pan except it has a goat's head instead of a human head we also see this in the satanic goat of mendes symbol that's the pentagram with the goat's head in the middle this is all in line with the goat theme and azazel is is worshipped by satanists and 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 used a lot in their literature so the greek myths show the, an interesting interaction between Pan and these two other deities, Zeus and Typhon. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to show us another link to a, a element in the stars. So the story goes that Pan was in his goat god form called Aegepan. Now he, he went to go help Zeus to make war against the chaos god Typhon. And when Typhon went to go lay a whooping on Aegepan, he ended up jumping, Aegepan ended up jumping in the Nile River and when he did that, the part of his body that was in the water turned into a fish, and the part of his body that was out of the water stayed a goat. So his bottom half was in the water. Now the bottom half turned into a fish, so it was a goat and fish. Now this is the story of, of basically how he became the, the goat-fish hybrid called Capricorn. And we know from Zodiac, Capricorn is a goat-fish hybrid. So this is where it gets kind of, we, we kind of get the ball rolling. We could see some more things. So the constellation Capricorn had the same the same goatfish appearance since the 21st century BC, and the goatfish was also the symbol of the god of the abyss, the Abzu, Enki. Now this connects Enki, the god of the abyss, to the goat demons in Exodus, and to the goat god Pan, whose worship was based at the foot of Mount Hermon in the time of Jesus. Now, you're, if you watched the last episode, you'll remember what we talked about. Jesus' conversation with Peter at the, the base of Mount Hermon about the, ga the gates of hell not prevailing against his church. So let's see that. That is Matthew 16, 13 through 18. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the grotto of Pan was at the base of Mount Hermon, 
and the Mount Hermon was actually where the Canaanite god, the, Can- the main Canaanite god El, this was his mount of assembly. And it was also the site of rebellion for the Watchers. And it was also linked to Bashan, which was the gateway to the netherworld. If all this research is correct, this links all these places together. So this was a spiritual hotbed. Now, Jesus decided to make his, his true divinity known, and, and he started, decided to start his church on this same rock that, that was this, the, enemy's, the enemy's abode, the enemy's main place. This was their mount of assembly. Jesus like, mm-mm, I don't care how much you think this mountain is yours. It is mine. I'm going to your hottest spot and taking it back. So he, he went on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he, so let, let's go into this. First, he builds his church upon that rock, which is their Mount of Assembly. Then he climbs that rock and is transfigured into his glorious light form in front of his disciples, and they end up hearing the voice of God himself, Yahweh. Then, in the very next chapter, we see Jesus reclaiming that same territory in a very calculated and brilliant way and this gives insane amounts of glory to god this is amazing so we see if you remember if you remember the number of the sons of god that were put over the nations after the tower of babel incident it's 70 sons of god or sometimes it's 72 depending on the translation now the number of elders that climbed mount sinai to meet with god to meet with yahweh face to face were 70 plus Moses and Aaron, that's 72. And then, lastly, the number of sons of the Canaanite El that were in in his assembly on Mount Hermon were 70, plus El and Baal, and that makes 72. So now, with this little backstory, we get into Luke 10. It reads, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town, and place where he himself was about to go. So then we're going to skip ahead to when they came back. But so so Jesus just sent 72 people in, into the surrounding areas. Then they returned. And it says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Boom. So what he did, he took that same number, the same number of sons that rebelled against him, the same number of elders that he called to meet him, and the same number that the Canaanite god El chose for his mount of assembly. Jesus used that same number to send his new soldiers out into the field of battle and make all the demons, the spirits of the Nephilim, subject to them. That is amazingly thought out and perfectly ordered. This was his way of divinely reclaiming the territory in that area. And he did it with humans. Humans who these fallen angels tried to jack their inheritance, basically, and try to usurp our new role. He used us, mere humans. And this was his plan all along. This wasn't plan B, this was plan A. He knew this would happen and this was his plan. And this probably made the fallen angel so mad and terrified. You can't forget terrified. This is amazing, this is amazing stuff. Now let's sum it up. In conclusion, the sons of God were assigned to the nations to rule over them justly and righteously as God would as a test 
and as a duty. And this is Deuteronomy 32. They instead chose to take wives for themselves and set themselves up as gods of the pagan nations to steal worship and glory from God for themselves. And you see their, their fall in Genesis 6. After that, they became, like I said, they became the gods, the Greek gods of Mount Olympus, the animal-headed deities of the Egyptian pantheon, the bird-like Apkalu of Mesopotamia, and many other forms to many other different cultures. So Yahweh finally had enough in Psalms 82, and we see him convict them as unjust rulers and sentence them to die as men, the beings they despise so much, a punishment that will be fulfilled in the day of the Lord. Now, as we speak, they sit in prison in everlasting chains, awaiting the day of judgment. But before that will happen, before they are judged, they will be released one last time to plague humanity, and that's seen in Revelations 9, 10 through 12. So they have one last hurrah to really wreak havoc, and that's basically the, the, the thread of the sons of God that runs through the Bible. This is a very truncated version, but this is, it's very... It's, it's sad to see that every everyone that you know God creates ends up rebelling against him or, or being sinful, but he knows the plan. So I'm sure the ending makes up for all the sadness along the way. So now, let's get into why this matters. So why this matters. Whether you like it or not, we are in a spiritual war that has been raging since the dawn of time. You are in it. And hopefully if you're watching this video, you have chosen a side. If you haven't chosen a side, give your life to Jesus. Pray that he, come, he comes into your life, he, he shows himself to you, and repent of your sins and follow him. So basically, that's choosing your side. Oh, and baptism, that's a whole other episode. That's basically, that that's making your, your final commitment to the army. So we're in this war, and in this war, your enemies will return in the end. They will be back. It's prophesied they'll come back. It's prophesied in Isaiah. They will come back. And it's important to know who they are and stuff about them to pass it on to people who may be here or to use it yourself if you're here. So another reason why this matters is this is still going on today. All this gross type of stuff that sounds like ancient times and it's so far removed, it's still going on today. So first off, we have the Baphomet statue of Baal, it's called, that, that's erected with, with this new wave of Satanists, how Satanism is gaining popularity among the, the age group who had Harry Potter come out, my age group, hmm, hmm I thought Harry Potter was harmless, hmm. Anyways, these Satanists, I think they're now tax-exempt, but basically they erected a statue of these children crowding around the Baphomet, who has a goat head, and it's just vile and a godless nation. But this is, this is how, where we're at. This is no longer ancient days. This statue is up. This idol. This idol is up and being worshipped now in this day and age. Now, secondly, here's something that's mind-blowing. So, in 2016... There was a ceremony to celebrate the opening of the, the Gothard-based tunnels in the, in the Alps of Switzerland. So this is the world's longest and deepest railway. It's 35.5 miles long. And now to break this bad boy in, they had a disgusting Illuminati ritual-styled grand opening. They had women simulating sex with each other in front of a resurrected goat man idol. Now this was a throwback to the dying and rising gods of ancient times and the deity looked like a Baphomet which we know is the same depiction as Pan which is probably the same form as Azazel and all all of these characters are linked with perverse sexual lust and then you have these people at this ritual 2016 
three years ago, simulating sex, broad daylight, not even the decency to wait till nighttime. It's just, it's just, and this stuff is happening. This stuff never went away. Nothing is new under the sun. You are in this fight. You have to be aware of this. God will lead you on what to do. Be aware of this stuff though. Learn about this. Dig deeper into your Bible, not only for spiritual rewards, but for marching orders. Again, great to be back. Good things are happening. Follow God, even if you think that it's not going the way you want it to or you don't you don't understand how it's going to work out. The one who set it in motion understands how it's going to work out. So follow God. Open your Bibles. Enjoy them. If you need to play an audio Bible, play it. But you are blessed to have a Bible. Read it and research it. And stay rad.